Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm John, and today I'm going to be looking at some of your voicemails. Okay, now we've not done a voicemail episode for Royal. My fault entirely because my work's been getting a bit too hectic. Hannah's away for the weekend, so unfortunately she won't be answering these with me. But I really wanted to put out a voicemail episode because we've got quite a lot building up. So without further ado, let's see who's first in the callback. Sorry to disappoint, but this message is about boobs. Boob lace flights of fancy is maybe the greatest combination of words ever to be put together in the English language ever, period. The end. I love it so much. It needs to be the title of something, an autobiography, a movie, a pocket, something, anything. I don't know. Will it be my first tattoo it could be i love it that much thank you forever and always thank you for boob laced flights of fancy that is of course jason from the hind sightless podcast thank you very much for calling in jason glad you enjoyed the boob laced flights of fancy and i'm sure it's a phrase that'll probably get thrown out again at some point both me and hannah were laughing about that when we we sort of said that in the the mermaids episode which is going back a little bit now but yeah glad you enjoyed it and if you do get it as your tattoo dude send me a picture of it depending on where you get it obviously but uh it sounds like it would be an amazing tattoo with some sort of funky design. I mean, personally, I've got, like, the green man and pan and bast on one arm. And I've got a design which is just outlined on my back, which is like a sort of abstract tribal design of a tree with a, a magpie in it and a fox sort of in the the roots. But that needs to be inked in. I've been waiting for, to get it inked in for years. But, you know, other things have demanded the money. But glad you enjoyed it, dude. Rare as wyvern shit? Dude, John, you are on fire. That, of course, was Jason again. Thank you very much. Yeah, I occasionally toss out random... Well, quite often I toss out random nonsense, and occasionally it comes together for something good. <laughs> thanks very much, dude. Hey, John. Thanks for the message. I'm glad the Curse of the Shits gave you a laugh. Uh, I think it's a third-level necromancy spell, isn't it? Um, gives you the poison effect and increases your exhaustion level. Or perhaps it would make another good scenario name. Perhaps uh, perhaps, a, perhaps I need to write a... Co- I've already got the Curse of Verisimilitude, and now I've got the Curse of the Shits, so perhaps I need to start designing some scenarios around that idea. But uh, thanks for your message, mate. Thank you. That was Safer Fantasy Crafting in response to a message I left him. Yeah, definitely got a bit of a chuckle out of your curse of the shits. And hell, if you want to write a module about it, man, just let the the ideas flow. I just hope it's not too much of a strain. And I did actually send Safer a message in response to this privately where I suggested what the name might be for someone who specialised in this particular brand of scatological magic. <laughs> Oh, John, awesome. Trotter Mansa. <laughs> I could rival Lewis Pulsifar's Necromancer character class. Let's get it written up. <laughs> Cheers, man. Take care. All the best. No problems. Glad you enjoyed it. Great to have a bit of a laugh and a bit of a banter between the two of us. And for listeners who are not in the UK, who may not be aware of this, having the trots is slang for having... A bit of a case of an upset stomach, if you know what I mean. Hi, John. Uh, Goblin's henchman here. So, I'm not a massive fan of, like, the ginormous creature concept. Um, So much so, I almost didn't listen to your episode. Um, (laughs) I do pick and choose a little bit sometimes. Absolutely no problems, Goblin's henchman. I entirely understand everyone's got a limited amount of time and sort of airspace to uh, listen to things like a podcast 
and I'm a fairly selective myself. If I hear something that I think is going to have no interest to me, unless I've got bags of free time, which is not very likely at the minute, I can sometimes skip on an episode and tune in later. It's why I'm such a fan of trying to label episodes clearly, because then it allows the listener to make an informed choice about whether they want to listen or not. I'd far rather someone go, oh, do you know what, that doesn't interest me, and skip an episode, than listen to an episode and be like, oh, well, that was rubbish, and then like feel like they've wasted their time. But I thought... As it's you, I'll give it a crack. Thanks very much. Very kind of you. And I was pleasantly surprised. I've never really thought about zonal combat. And I think that does work because I've always had this issue with, well, how, how when this thing is like Godzilla size or bigger, you know, how does a, a sword that's a, effectively a toothpick harm this creature? But I like this idea of zones, how, you, you know, it sort of breaks it down into sort of a conceptual thing. Now, this, this probably won't surprise you very much, but... Uh, that 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 what you describe is almost made for something like a hex flower, um, because you can have the zones. The head is the top, and then you know there's various sections. But of course, I would have a very strong favoured dynamic to allow the players to go where they want. But a bit of random chance that they're trying to get the thorax end up on the legs, etc. Yeah, absolutely right, Goblin's henchman. I think it'd be great for a hex flower, and for anyone who isn't aware, somehow Goblin's henchman creates these little sort of random tables he calls them random tables with a memory where it's like a a hex flower it's an arrangement of hexes where you move like a a marker around these hexes based on a a semi-random number and that sort of determines whatever element the table is he's done one for weather he's done one for sea travel and other things besides they're really great resources i've used the weather one myself they're on drive through i highly recommend you give them a check out and yeah i think you definitely could use this for with a hex flower for myself, I just draw out like a very simple, almost like flow chart, really, with each sort of area being a little box and it having numerous connectors as to where you could move. As is often the case with these things, that the players didn't actually end up facing the this creature. It was killed off by one of the NPC factions that it was getting a little bit too close to. But I sort of knew that might happen anyway, and it only took me... 10-15 minutes to lay out the chart and I've sort of got that ready in case any other big monsters pop up so I don't really feel like the effort was wasted. Thanks very much for calling in Goblin Tenchman. I'm glad you listened to the episode and you were able to take something out of it. Hey there you two. Awesome episode on the Return of Lazy Dungeon Master. I love those books. I've read them both. I use uh, Secrets and Clues in some of my games. It's funny though, like I watch Mike Shea's YouTube channel and every week he has the his prepping for his upcoming games. He runs all the hardcover Watsy uh, adventures and so he always preps each one of those games each week using the tools of uh, the Lazy Dungeon Master and <laughs> there's so many times when he breaks the rules and then everyone in the chat gets all mad at him for breaking the rules. He's like, hey, hey, like sometimes you got to break the rules. So like with Secrets and Clues, he talks about in the book, he talks about how don't keep your clues, throw them away. But in reality, uh, once you've been playing for a camp, playing through a campaign for a while, he does start to keep some of the secrets and bring them over into the next week. Great stuff. Peace out. That was Joe again from Hindsightless. Thank you very much, Joe. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and I try and watch as many of Mike Shea's prep videos as I can, because although I don't really play 5th edition or run 5th edition myself, I find that watching other GMs prep helps me reflect on my own. And, you know, you always come away with a few 
tips, tricks, and ideas that you may not have thought of on your own. So I try anytime I see a GM prep video, I try and watch it. Just on the off chance, I'll pick up something that I hadn't considered, or I get a different viewpoint about something. And yeah, I've seen a few times where Mike sort of like gone against his own rules or ignored them outright, and people have got a bit arsy in the in the chat, and he's like, "Well, that that's just the way I did it," which. I think it's absolutely fair enough, you know. It's all very well sort of in a, a fairly sort of sterile environment, writing things down on a piece of paper, you know, when you're thinking about it abstractly. But in the same way as that, you know, the old saying that no GM plan survives contact with the players, I think it's a case of none of these things 100% stay as they are when they're actually put into practice. It's one of the benefits of having a GM and like being able to adapt, you know, that you can change these things and take the ideas and sort of tweak them to fit your setting and to be honest i'm using his sort of like lazy gm prep and i sort of keep back a few of my um if secrets and clues if i've got any sort of knocking around that i think are like pretty good then i might try and recycle them into the future not always but sometimes you never know and it looks like we've got my old mucker colin from spike pit who also has some stuff to say about mike shays the lazy dungeon master take it away colin oh john um, you're probably aware, I'm sure we've talked about it before, but I am quite a fan of Mike Shea and the ideas presented in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and in fact the original book I found really inspiring. I think they're super useful, but Secrets and Clues, you've picked out one of the highlights in your episode there. One of the, the most clever things about it is this this way that it helps you to loosen up because you've got to bang out the 10 clues, like you say, super brief, and then chuck them away. So you don't get bogged down. It keeps it keeps your world kind of light and retains that free-form nature. Excellent stuff. Take care. I'll catch you later. Cheers, Colin. Thanks very much. Yeah, I've got both Return of the Lazy DM and the original Lazy Dungeon Master. I enjoy both the books. And if I remember correctly, I've not got them to hand at the moment, Mike Shea actually says when he's talking about why did I do another book, Return of the Lazy GM, where he's he says that pretty much secrets and clues were the reason he decided to do a second book. Because when he started using that mechanic, it sort of so changed the way he thought about his prep and his game that he really thought he should do a second book to like share that with people. And yeah, I think it's by far the the standout bit in that book for me. And it was one of the things that I really sort of latched onto as I was reading through it. It was like, yeah, you know what? That's something I can take and use in my games. And yeah, I know we've both spoke about being a fan of that book in the past. And I'm glad you enjoyed the episode that we did featuring it. Thanks very much for calling in, Colin. Hey guys, this is Joe from Biggest Geekest. And uh, John, I just listened to your episode regarding the lazy dungeon master method and um, like other things in gaming this is a great option to use uh, as one of your many tools in prepping so if you want to go whole hog and rifle a bunch of stuff just as an exercise that's great even if not a lot of it gets used you can always pull out the things that you like and just uh, gaze with wonder at your creativity with the other stuff. Um, as far as lazy, the lazy method, I think it's, uh, like I said, a great tool that you can use, especially in a pinch or as a stepping off point um, for a campaign. Um, and those tables are great for inspiration in and of themselves. 
that's what's uh, one of the great things about the lazy dungeon master books is he has some very inspiring uh, entries in his tables for uh, making uh, encounters and for ideas for your campaign. Anyway, um, that's my two cents. Uh, use the lazy method as one of your tools in your uh, prep toolkit. Anyway, have a good one. That was, of course, Joe, one of the two hosts of Biggest Geekus, one of my favorite podcasts. If you're not listening to it, what are you doing with your life? There'll be a link to the description down below. I highly recommend you check it out if you want to listen to two guys bantering about old school games, talking about things they like, things they don't like. Great fun chat and sort of banter between the two of them. I thoroughly enjoy and recommend it. And I think Joe makes a very good point there that like all of these GM tools, the lazy DM stuff is just one weapon to have in your sort of GM arsenal, so to speak. You know, it's it's not a a one-size-fits-all sort of ultimate solution to your GMing where you have that and that's all you need. I don't think there is any sort of skeleton slash master key solution to GM prep since different people have different ways of prepping, different people enjoy various aspects of it. So I think it's a good idea to look at as many different tools and ideas as you can and then focus in on like the two or three maybe that work for you. And I've certainly done that where I follow the, the Lazy Gem stuff and I've been doing a little bit more heavily for my current OSE campaign recently. But I also enjoy like just creating stuff in my spare time and I've got various other sort of GM advice bits and pieces that I draw on. So I think you're best not to limit yourself to like one particular GM tool, but have a look at the variety of the smorgasbord of stuff that's out there and then narrow down what works for you as a GM. Definitely agree with you there, Joe. Thank you very much for the call. Hello, uh, John and Hannah. This is Joe from Biggest Geekus, and I just got through listening to your episode on religious ceremonies, and I thought it was really good. And uh, something sore in need, I think, uh, kind of across the board, I think um, there's a bit of a lacking, this is just to my taste, uh, in the fantasy genre of religion. You know, people are religious across cultures and across time, across space. And having it missing kind of um, makes it less believable. Even if the religions are wonky or not necessarily what you would expect, it, it being not there makes it less believable to me. Um, so I like to try to inject a little bit of that. It doesn't have to be big. Um, it can be in the background. It could be just um, fallen comrades getting the, the last rites or the appropriate ceremony for their end of life um, and things like that. Paying respects at shrines and and other things. Uh, so it doesn't have to, your investment doesn't have to be big to make the your world building your world seem more real. Anyway, thanks for that episode. Keep up the good work. And I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks again, Joe. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at sort of today's world, even if, like myself, you're not particularly religious, there's that many sort of holdovers, whether it's phrases, sort of little superstitions and stuff like that, that come from a past where religion did feature more prominently in the lives of everybody. And that's in the real world, you know, where clerics haven't actually got magical powers and stuff like that, depending on what you believe. 
but in a sort of fantasy world where it's more demonstrably true that there are gods, etc., how much more so would religion actually have a factor on people's lives? So it just seems odd to me that these, it's these little things, these sort of like little odd sort of eccentricities and stuff like that, and these little bits of ritual that seem to be missing from the daily lives of NPCs, whatever, in role-playing games that could really definitely add a lot to a game. And like you say, you don't have to go the full whole hog with like bringing a, a fantasy religion into it all the time, but just a few little things. I mean, to give an example, in my Old School Essentials Smoke and Snow campaign we're running at the minute, we had very early on in the game, in this little sort of like settler village that they've set up, they the, the priest was killed in a, a sort of random event. And eventually um, Darren Green, Colin Spike Pitt's brother, joined the game. And his first character was a friar, a sort of Dolmenwood variant cleric, who sort of took over the priestly duties in the town, but was like, oh, I'm going to go out and like adventure with these brave folks and you know crusade for, for the right and bring the light of Leander to this rediscovered continent. Leander being the main sort of like religion in my campaign. And he, unfortunately, was killed by a roper on one of the adventures. And we've had a few mentions when they've gone back to the village since of, like, they've not had a priest since. And a few people are starting to say, oh, you know, like, both of the priests we've had have died under, like, fairly horrible circumstances. Was it a mistake to, like, come here and settle here? Is, like, Leander showing his disfavour? Are we not faithful enough? And it's never escalated into anything sort of massive, but there's like low-level rumblings of worry and sort of discontent amongst the people, leading the sort of elder man, the elder of the village, to be like really desperate for them to get a new priest in because without a priest, they can't go through the regular sort of services of worship properly. They the, the chapels in disuse, and they're all start as like Leander-fearing people. They're all starting to get a little bit worried about it, and that crops up every now and again, and it's just sort of simmering away in the background. And although it's not been like sort of pow, smacking the players in the face with it, it reinforces the fact that like these local people are really concerned and really involved in their religion. And it sort of helps keeps it in keeps it in the mind of the players and establishes that yes, this religion is an important thing to people in the setting. Great call again, Joe. Thank you very much. Hey guys, this is Randy from Biggest Geekus. Listen to your dinosaurs episode. Thought it was really good. A lot of good ideas. Um I may have missed it, but did you guys cover the Thorials from 2nd Edition? Uh, remember the Azure Bonds? Curse the Azure Bonds. There was that Thorial companion to the fighter lady in that story, and then I think they became a race, playable race later on in 2nd Edition, and they're based on dinosaur people or dinosaur-type race. So you may have mentioned it. I may have missed it, but good episode. Take care. Talk to you soon. That was, of course, Randy, the other host of Biggest Geekers. Thanks very much for calling in, Randy. I've got to confess, the Sawreels entirely slipped my mind while making the dinosaur episode. I'm not terribly familiar with them, because although technically I, I sort of had some of the second ad AD&D books, I didn't really actually have like a regular group or like play any regular D&D until like third edition had come out and it was only later on i sort of went back and started looking at the earlier editions so uh, I, although i'm sort of vaguely aware of the sawreels i didn't really have any sort of knowledge of them to any great degree and they sort of slipped my mind so thank you very much for bringing that to our attention greatly appreciate it hi john hi hannah it's kevin calling in from the red caps podcast 
just got to the hotel after a long 10-hour drive, and during that drive, we were listening to your podcast, specifically the one about dinosaurs. A couple of comments is, one, I have a six-year-old son, so I'm well-versed in reading books about dinosaurs and can confirm that the names are a pain and that uh, no normal human should ever have to memorize them, and the person who created them deserves a knee to the groin. Uh, Point number two would be that, like Hannah said, they are feathered, and uh, they're probably more closely related to birds, really, than, than the alligator and crocodile. So maybe the point of reference for intelligence should be birds. Maybe we could have talking dinosaurs, like ones that mimic people. Um, you know, you could have uh, a, a bird that's like a crow, or the really big mean ones could be more like Canadian geese, maybe. Um, and finally, I'm very disappointed that John will not let me play my uh, rainbow feathered T-Rex uh, bard that would be playing the ukulele with his really tiny arms. Um, I mean, come on, Gary Gygax said we could play dragons. Why can't we play dinosaurs, John? John, come on. Anyhow, guys, really enjoyed the episode. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Take care. Thanks very much, Kevin. That was Kevin from the Red Caps podcast. Greatly appreciate the call-in. I'm glad you enjoyed the dinosaur episodes, and I think you make a very interesting point about modelling their behaviour on birds. I think the whole idea of like maybe like a small herd of like smaller carnivorous dinosaurs mimicking prey to draw them in is quite a frightening and therefore absolutely great prospect and yeah having them feathered or not you can add a bit of strangeness to them as we said with that that's absolutely great the names are a bit of a pain and obviously the names these are official like names that are used are those that academics have come up with over time in the real world i like to think that if we're actually in a setting where these like dinosaurs existed they'd probably have far more different names like thunder lizard or like pterosaur or stuff like that so i think that's probably the vibe i'd go for if i was doing a setting with dinosaurs in give them like more descriptive and less academic names and i think that'd make them sort of pop a little bit more as for not being able to play your uh your sort of feathered uh, dinosaur PC in a game that I run. I appreciate you trying to throw the ukulele in to try and lure me in because I do love the ukulele. I've got one of my own. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a big vanilla fantasy person, dude. What, what can I say? I, I like I like my old school essentials. I like my racist class. It's just how I am, man. I think there's, there's certainly games out there that would suit a, a PC like that. And to be honest, if I was playing in such a game... That'd be absolutely great. It's not something I'm likely to run, though. It's just not my vibe as a GM. But thank you very much for the call-in. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, and one last comment on the dinosaur episode. Uh, like I said, we had done about 10 hours of driving, and for probably 80% of that drive, I was listening to different D&D and OSR-related podcasts, which my wife had to endure because uh, she has no interest in the hobby at all. Uh, she had very little reaction to most of them. Um, however, right at the end of your episode, when you mentioned the uh, Triceratops in a G-string, uh, she did a spit laugh. So uh, just wanted to let you know that that happened as well. Anyhow, keep up the great work. Talk again soon. Thanks, Kevin. I'm glad we were able to lighten the, the burden of your wife's journey listening to all these podcasts. Yeah, I've got to admit, I've never really, bizarrely, I've never really listened to podcasts in the car. I mean, 
I used to listen to, when I used to get public transport, like on the bus to work, I used to listen to podcasts on my phone. And I suppose I could I could link up my, my radio to the phone like via Bluetooth and play them off there, off my podcatcher, because it downloads episodes to my phone. So maybe that's something I'll give a try in the future. Although I'm normally paying attention to the road, and I, I don't really like listening to podcasts if I can't pay attention to them. It's why I quite often fall behind. Because while I'm working from home at the minute, I'll quite often listen to a podcast. But if I if I have to like really seriously get into like a complicated bit of work, I normally put the podcast on pause because I can't pay attention to it, and I'll just sort of not take in the information that the person is trying to do. And I like to be able to listen to and pay attention. You know, if someone's gone to the effort of recording it, I think the least I can do is give them the, like my full attention. So that's one of the reasons I often fall behind with my podcast listening and then I have to struggle to catch up again. But who knows, maybe listening in the car could be a thing for me in the future. So thank you very much for the suggestion. Hey, Hannah and John. I really enjoyed your recap of the tale of Steve the shark, the undead shark who fought the Kraken. And that was a really fascinating tale. And it reminds me of swashbuckling adventures and the pathfinder adventure path that i ran for a little bit and my wife played a druid character who was who took that that sort of uh, archetype where they could turn into reptilian creatures which included dinosaurs so her mo was either to sneak up towards a ship as an elasmosaurus and snatch unsuspecting sailors who were enemy or fly on board with the cleric hanging on and landing on the ship as a pterodactyl creature and then shape changing into an allosaurus and wrecking havoc. So she definitely really enjoyed that. That brings back that nostalgia and memory. And I love it. I love hearing recaps because that's what I put on my show, I guess. So uh, it's really great to hear these war stories of games gone by or games recently played. Thanks a lot. No problems. Thank you very much for the call in. Glad you enjoyed the tale of Steve, the zombie shark. We had great fun with that game. It was a system that the GM had sort of made under their own steam. It was really enjoyable and great to get together for an in-person game after what's been a long old time. So glad you enjoyed the episode. Thank you very much for the message. Hey John, Jason here. Just want to say enjoyed your last couple episodes. I think I already called you about the, the first one, but the I also want to mention that I'm sure you know this, but Sly Forge was recently on the, I don't know, one of those British podcasts that some people don't like. I don't know if you like it or not, but there are some people that don't like them. Um, the Smart Party, that's it. So I don't know if you like The Smart Party or not. I think I've heard other podcasters whose names I won't mention say they didn't like The Smart Party, but Anyway, it's a good interview with Sly Flores, so even if you don't like them, it, it may be worth listening to, especially as he talks about his method, and he kind of talks about VTTs, and um, I, I won't spoil it for you, but it, it sounds like he much prefers it playing online. It sounds like he much prefers um, theater of the mind to VTTs. But anyhow, good talking to you. Thanks very much. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks very much, Jason. I wasn't aware of the interview with Mike Shea. I'm not a regular listener to the Smart Party, although I have sort of listened to episodes of theirs in the past. Can't say I have strong feelings either way about it, but I will definitely give a look for that episode that you mentioned there. So thank you very much for bringing it to my attention. Okay, I can't just do 60 seconds. Um, 
shame to miss Han on there, but I, I do appreciate you putting this out. And I'm interested, you know, the, the other thing is that he emphasized, I know he emphasized in the book as well, is you don't have to use all eight steps, right? So I, I agree with you. I think his books are really good, um, good information. And they're not D&D specific either, which is nice. You can definitely adapt that to most any game. Um, but if you're down to one, only one game, you know, that leaves you time maybe to play in a game on that off week, huh? 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 Just, just saying. Yeah, myself and um, Johannes Pavler often joke about we we sort of locked into this cycle where we start off running a couple of campaigns and then like work and real life and things get in the way and we're like, oh, we really need to trim down the amount of games we're running. So you trim it down to like one game and then after like a few months' time, you're like, well, I'm pretty much on top of this game now. You know, maybe maybe I could fit a second game in and the whole cycle starts again. But I'm trying to avoid that and stick to just like the one game at the moment. But as you say, maybe I've got time to like play in some games. I don't know if I'd get into a campaign game. I mean, if it's something that really grabbed me, maybe. Who knows? But I'd certainly be down for some one-shots or something like that. But obviously, it just depends on me sort of like getting the opportunity to do that. But we'll see. Who knows? Hey, you two. Awesome episode on dinosaurs. Hannah, thank you. I am now no longer the only podcast that I listen to that I've heard somebody talk about Denisovans. So big, big ups to you on that one. I recently came across this really interesting new theory that some dinosaur scientists, whatever they're called, put out. Uh, and it goes something like this. We look at, we we have a strong sense that birds are the descendants of dinosaurs that they're their closest relationship now and we see some birds such as crows that are capable of tool usage and so the theory is dinosaurs had larger brains than birds do today so perhaps they were using tools we'd never know peace out some great extra ideas to do with dinosaurs there from joe at hindsightless yeah tool using dinosaurs It'd hardly be the strangest thing, would it? I mean, I certainly think maybe some of the the smaller dinosaurs. I don't know why, but like the larger dinosaurs using tools just doesn't sit right with me. That may just be my own imaginings. I don't know, but I could certainly imagine. Maybe it's just Jurassic Park telling me that it's like the the Velociraptors and smaller dinosaurs are intelligent. Who knows? But I could certainly see like it being quite a terrifying experience if you came up against some smaller carnivorous dinosaurs who could use tools and maybe we could combine that with the idea of like dinosaurs that can mimic uh, vocalizations to draw in prey so imagine like a small set of dinosaurs who can effectively like make a small trap and they lure you into it using these this mimicry and that's when they set upon you yeah that could be quite a dangerous encounter i'm gonna file that away in the old back pocket of my memory for future use so if any of my players are listening to this and you get ambushed by mimicking dinosaurs using tools in the future you know who to blame i am very tardy at this please forgive me hannah and john dinosaur episode is wonderful i i played i have some war games that are kind of late war games that are kind of like that i guess are skirmish games but you know where you're dinosaur hunting and doing that kind of stuff like the one hannah was talking about with the jamless game um but yeah, I, th- I think you guys hit the nail on the head. For some reason, I th- I think John, I-, I think the cards have been cast, the die has been cast, and 
John needs to run Dinosaur Watership down. You can do it, John. You know you want to. Okay. Anyway, great episode. And yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Most of Jurassic Park movies are not good. Take care. Thanks, Jason. Glad you enjoyed the dinosaur episode. And yeah, who knows? I mean, I think if I was going to run a sort of intelligent dinosaur game, it'd probably be a little bit more land before time. You know, the cartoon with like Littlefoot and Sharptooth and all of that sort of shiz in it. And yeah, I'm pretty sure I could bust out Fate and run some, clutch something together to run a dinosaur game like that. So who knows? Maybe in future I can bust it out as a one shot. So that's it for this calling episode. Thank you very much to all our wonderful callers. Before we go, I've just got one last thing, which was Wayne Peacock sent us through an email. He said he'd been a fan since my original Fate uh, YouTube videos, which is very kind of you. Thank you very much, Wayne. He really enjoyed the recent episode of Monsters from Mythology and Fame, you know, Hags, Jenny Green Tea, etc. And he says... Uh, he recently started an OSE zine called Old Scroll, and he was kind enough to send us a download key. I've had a quick look through it, and it looks very interesting. I'm hoping to maybe get the time to do either like a flip through or a sort of maybe a podcast episode talking about it at some point in the future. So I just wanted to say thanks very much, Wayne. That was greatly appreciated. If you'd like to get in touch with us and maybe be featured in a future voicemail episode, there's a few different ways you can do it. You can leave us a voicemail either using SpeakPipe or Anchor. There'll be a link in the description below. Or you can send us an email like Wayne did to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. And like I say, you might get featured in a future episode. And we welcome all of your comments on our previous episodes if you've got any ideas for future episodes you want to see or maybe you just want to have an atter about something to do with rpgs please do leave us a message until we catch you again take care stay safe and happy gaming